Hello and welcome to episode 9 of The Crashdown. It feels like we're just flying through these. My name is CJ and today's episode is called Heatwave. And we get to see some of the fallout from last week's episode. We see what's happened now that Mr. Polsky's left. We see Alex's reaction now that he knows something was going on with her. And because the city's been hit by this heat wave, everyone in Roswell is Twitter-pating. That's right, all of our favorite characters are pairing off. Michael and Maria are kind of addressing their kiss from last week. Liz and Max are questioning their relationship, if they have one, if they should. Kyle's moving on, he's getting over Liz. And even Alex is getting some attention, which is always nice to see. But let's just get started. The episode opens in this really great sequence. It's intercut between Liz and Maria. Maria, who's, I guess, closing up the diner. She's pairing ketchups and sweeping the restaurant floor, although she's barefoot while she's doing this. And it's obviously supposed to be this seductive scene. This music is playing and she's sweating and kind of running her hands over her body. And then it cuts to Liz, who's pretty much studying away in her room and eating what looks like a Simpsons donut. It's kind of got a pink tinged frosting. It's got sprinkles all over it. And she goes to her fridge to get something to wash it down, but oh no, they're out of milk. And I'd like to point out that she's got like a legit bottle in there. Like not a carton, not a jug or a gallon or even a bag. It's like a straight up 1930s like glass jar so whether they empty it into that because there wasn't like a lid on it it was one of those just open ones like you what put it under the udder no they probably pasteurized that still but I just thought that's weird I'm pretty sure in a restaurant that's not how you're ordering milk and it's not like they have a farm out back that they're just milking their cows every morning anyway she goes downstairs to try and find another bottle and that's when she sees Maria. She's been cleaning up, closing down the place, but then Michael shows up. Maria opens the door for them. They kind of look at each other and then definitely start making out, like, hardcore. At first, it's just by the door, and then it's all over the table, and then it looks like they move back into, like, the prep area, and Liz is just peering at them through this window as they're lying on the floor, like, groping each other and, like, writhing in pleasure. It was super weird, and I guess you're supposed to see this juxtaposition between the two. Like, naive Liz, that's her first real foray into the sexual world. This is not a girl who watches pornography, you know? She's kind of scared to even kiss these guys, and then she sees her friend kind of going much further than what she has before. I could see why she'd be curious, but I still think that's a super weird scene. And that's where the opening theme song starts playing. You're like, all right then. I guess that was supposed to be really erotic and seductive. And I guess we are kind of voyeurs because we watch these TV shows where people get a lot dirtier than what's happening here on Roswell. <laughs> I mean, really, this is probably one of the tamest shows I watch. But still, I thought that was kind of weird. Like, you could have just have that happening. Why does Liz have to be peering through, like, the little kitchen window? Like, ooh, that's my best friend. Like, oh, God, oh, God. Are they trying to get teen boys in this? I don't know. 
anyway, I should probably move on from this subject. Let's not delve into that anymore. Let's cut to Liz and her diary. That's right. Another diary entry. We learn that it's December 2nd, so it's a midwinter heat wave, but I guess when you're that far south, that happens. I am not from somewhere that's that far south, and so a winter this hot is absolutely unimaginable to me. She says that this heat is making people crazy, and when you see her at school the next day, you definitely see this. Pretty much everyone is groping each other in the hallways, even the teachers. They're like all over each other, flirting hardcore, not even discreetly, like that's what a staff room is for. Come on, people. Set a good example for these kids. And her analogy for the day is that heat makes things expand, it boils them, it catches them on fire. And watching all these people with all this chemistry shows her that her life isn't expanding. She's stuck. And it's kind of true. Ever since she's had this revelation in her life, it hasn't been the same. She hasn't been driven and determined like she used to be. She's just struggling to get by and trying to comprehend this new reality. While she's having this philosophical debate in her own mind slash journal entry, which, by the way... She always starts with, I'm Liz Parker. That seems really weird to me. I get it. It's like introducing a show, but it's not the first scene. It's not like, you know, Arrow or The Flash or any of these CW shows that's like, my name is Oliver Queen and blah, 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 blah. It's like, dear diary, it's Liz again. Like, someone else steals your diary and makes entries? Or it's like, hey, diary, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm still going to talk to you. Or, like, you think in the future you'll go back and be like, huh, was this my diary? I don't remember writing in it every single day for, like, three years. I just thought that was very odd. But anyway, while she's having this introspective moment in her diary slash in her head, Maria is getting busy in the eraser room. Her and Michael are going at it, not full on, they're just making out in there, but the good old eraser room. I am surprised this thing is not already occupied. I mean, there's got to be a wait list. Seriously. On the best of days, the eraser room is like the place to be. And now with all this, you know, chemistry out there with all these couples hooking up, it's got to be in demand. I mean, even Kyle has found someone new. Good old Vicky Delaney. Oh, Vicky Delaney. She seems really nice, but really oblivious. Because when Liz bumps into them in the hall, she invites Liz to a party at the old soap factory. Kyle's like, oh no, that's not her thing. But Liz is trying to get out there. She's trying to push herself. And she's so happy that Kyle is moving on. Because maybe this will distract him from his little quest to persecute Max and win her back. So she's actually upbeat and positive, like, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, maybe I'll be there. And Vicky's like, see, I told you she'd be cool. Like, what has Kyle been saying about her? I'm sure he's been bad-mouthing her. Like, he was not playing it cool at all. And I mean, she treated him pretty poorly, but still, like, ouch. Anyways, as Kyle and Vicky wander away, Liz happens to see Sheriff Valenti in the office with Alex. As the staff puts it, Mr. Polsky has quote-unquote disappeared. And 
Alex was one of the last people to have a scheduled meeting with her, so Sheriff Valenti wants to know exactly what they talked about. Liz immediately goes to find Max and let him in on this news. She doesn't really have anything to tell because Alex hasn't spoken to her. Understandably, she promised him the truth and didn't deliver, and he was done. But while she has Max's attention, you know, she just has to bring up that Kyle's seeing someone new and they're actually going to a party. You know, the one at the old soap factory? Hint, 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 hint. She's definitely trying to get him to ask her. The conversation kind of flops, though, even though they see other people, like, making out in the stacks. So she tries a different tact and asks if Max has seen anything different in Michael lately. Max immediately gets paranoid because any time Michael does something, it is not good news. And Liz kind of implies that maybe him and Maria are sort of getting together. And would that really be such a bad thing? But in his eyes, yes, he said this time and time again. They cannot be together. And then he sees how hurt she is and is like, oh, well, uh, yeah, I don't know. But the damage is kind of done. Also in the school's office that day, though, is good old Amy DeLuca. That's right, we finally meet Maria's mom. Oh my goodness, I love Amy DeLuca. She's all over the place, kind of a whack job, incredibly loud and demanding. She's demanding to know where Miss Topolsky is and what is going on. This woman says that she needs to talk to her, that they have to talk about Maria's future, and then all of a sudden she's disappeared. And it's right about this time that Sheriff Valenti is wrapping things up with Alex. So he comes out, sees her in the office, and Amy DeLuca kind of turns around and is like, oh no. And you see, there's this moment of recognition between the two of them. They have a history. And I love this, oh my goodness, this matchup between the two of them. Again, it's two characters that almost should not be in a scene together, but that's why they play so well. Because you have the total straight edge, Sheriff Valenti, everything by the book, even though he's being a little sneaky these days. He's doing it for the greater good. Then his polar opposite, you have Amy DeLuca, who's a free spirit. She just goes with the flow, except when she's mad, and then she is a force to be reckoned with. And that's the great thing about her is she's totally laid back and supportive of the underdog until you cross her. And then her rules are the rules and you don't get to question them. <laughs> is that a weird double standard? Am I weird for loving that double standard? Valenti kind of needles her at this point and you get the first hint to what their history might be when he asks her, staying out of the slammer? Oh, DeLuca, what are you up to? Anyway, he tries to calm her down when she's going on a rant about Topolsky and says, you know, he understands it's hard being a single parent because it is. Think about this. She's a single mother trying to raise a teenage daughter and run her own business. And then here's the sheriff. Same thing. When you're like the head of your department, you're working even when you're not working because people need to check in with you. And so both of their kids suffer a little bit from that absentee parent but at the same time, they're getting this great, strong role model. It's a trade-off, really. This single parent thing 
shows that finally, after all those years, they have something in common. Hmm, what's that going to lead to? Oh, right, a date later in the episode. But we have to work up to that because it gets interrupted. And no spoilers, guys, until we get there, even though you've probably watched the episode like half a dozen times. Back to school. Now that Alex has been let out of this meeting with Valenti, Liz tries to track him down. She tells him she's sorry, and he just wants to know, it's fine, it's fine, he'll forgive everything up to this point, just tell him. And I'm still sitting there like, yes, tell him, tell him, you have to tell him. But it's not her secret to tell. She can't do it. But if she won't tell him, he won't tell her what he said to Valenti. And that doesn't feel very good, does it? And of course, Miss Type A does not like this uncertainty. She has bigger fish to fry, though. Her best friend needs her. It's 105 degrees outside, and Maria is sporting a very wooly, puffy turtleneck. She's got hickeys all over her neck. Luckily, Liz swoops in with some concealer to try and cover it up. But obviously, her and Michael have been very busy. And again, here's another great sequence where it's intercut with Liz and Maria's conversation in the girls' bathroom and Michael and Max in the boys' bathroom. It's not quite as cinematic, I guess, because they're standing at urinals for most of the scene. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. That's, it was just really weird. Like, it's that's the setup, but I guess that makes sense. Guys are not just hanging around in the bathroom. Not like girls. Anyway, between these two sequences, you cut back and forth, and I like that they kind of continue the conversation and you get to see both sides of the situation. On the guy's side, it's this very casual conversation, at least at first. In the girl's side, Liz is very interested in what's going on. She wants to know, have they just been sucking face or is it more than that? She sees all these people just going for it lately and she wants to make sure that Maria is playing it safe. And then it cuts to the guys, and he's like, I don't know, I was just thinking, go for it. <laughs> oh, Michael, it, it's so good. I love that she is so thoughtful, and she has to break everything down and analyze it before she makes any decision. And then there's just Michael who's like, I don't know, I just went for it. Max is pissed, though. There are guidelines about these things. They set up these rules between themselves. Michael wasn't really thinking, though, and especially not about Max in that moment. <laughs> Max just wants to know, has it progressed any further than kissing? And just from the look on Michael's face, it's like, mmm, yeah. <laughs> Even though he doesn't say it, it's a total, mm-hmm, well, at least something more than that has happened. He knows it feels wrong, but it feels so good. And then it cuts to Liz and Maria again, like, Liz saying it feels good because to her of course that's not a good enough reason to do anything just because it feels good is it the smart decision will it have consequences later down the road will it affect the other person negatively she cannot turn off this part of her logical brain as much as she wants to and when she says she's stuck that's what's keeping her stuck and maybe we'll see her try and break out of that pattern she just wants to know 
if Maria is actually talking to Michael about any of this. And Maria kind of doesn't really answer. She's sort of evasive about that. But when it cuts to her and Michael making out, she tries to slow things down and get him to answer some basic questions like, how was your day? What are they doing? And we see just how important friends are to teenagers, how easily they can put these thoughts into their friends' heads. All she did was ask if they talk, and then of course to Maria that isn't enough. Maybe it was before, but now that she realizes what she's missing, it just isn't. Like I said, they exchange these pleasantries between making out, and then Maria kind of lets it slip about this party on Friday. But of course, Michael can't give her an answer. Friday is like years from now. He doesn't do commitments, and this really freaks him out now. I feel like he's been pretty honest about that. Right from the beginning, he told her commitment wasn't his thing, that he needed to get away, that he didn't want to stay in Roswell. So why would he want a serious girlfriend? Anyways, speaking of mismatched love connections, we get another scene with Amy DeLuca. She is peddling her wares in the crashdown, and we finally see Liz's dad. It looks like he might do some ordering from her, She's really trying to push these alien cocktail stirrers. She says people love them, and he orders some. There's even glow in the dark, but the way she says it is so, like, raunchy, and it's like, um, I don't even want to know what you're doing with that, lady. <laughs> Seriously. But this is the first real business decision we see this man make, and it's spending money on alien cocktail stirrers? I mean, maybe he wants to support Liz's best friend's mom. But really? Whatever. Right about this time, Sheriff Valenti shows up. He apparently went to her shop first, looking for her, and then they told him that she would be there. You know, stalk her much? But he just wanted to apologize. Seeing her after all these years, he just needed to clear the air about what happened. And so then we get their history. She was at this protest, trying to protect a 200-year-old piece of Native American architecture. The city wanted to rape the town of its history, and she was on a crusade to save it. Valenti's like, the natives wanted it taken down more than anyone, though. She's like, that's not the point. The point is, why did he have to pick on her? And you find out he actually arrested her. But it's because he thought she was cute. She was wearing these cowboy boots and this skirt and, well, he had to arrest someone. It might as well have been her. And then she kind of laughs and is like, I am absolutely outraged. But she's blushing and smiling and it's one of those, I'm so over it, I've She's probably been arrested a dozen times in her life. I mean, this is not the first time she's probably put up a fuss about some piece of architecture like that that no one wants. Even the people whose heritage it is is like, this thing is an eyesore. We can make something so much better. But that's Amy DeLuca. She has a cause. Their flirting is cut short, though, as they're dabbing themselves with these napkins because they're all flushed. Because Maria shows up and is like, Mom... In the total, like, what the heck are you doing, voice? 
And Amy's all like, oh, you remember Jim? And it's like, no, this he's not a Jim. He'll never be a Jim. This is the sheriff and he's our enemy. Why are you talking to him? Now we get to this really quick scene between Liz and Isabel. I really like that they're bonding. After that road trip, after seeing Max in that much danger, they've gotten a lot closer. But this scene is very strange. They're painting their toenails, which of course, girly bonding thing, okay, I get it. But they're sitting outside on the grass. Now, why would you ever paint your toenails when you're walking in grass? Unless you're going to sit there forever and make sure it's dry. I mean, you can't put your feet in shoes, so you're going to wear flip-flops. And if the blades are longer than like a quarter of a centimeter, they're going to rub all over your toes. It's going to smudge everywhere. I just thought this was a really weird location. Like, go back to those bleachers that you were sitting on a few episodes ago. Sit on a bench in front of the school or on the concrete somewhere. We used to sit on the floor in the school hallways. I mean, on the grass? I don't know. That, that was just really strange to me. We do get to see a little bit more of their alien powers, though, when Isabel changes the clear color that Liz was using into a blue to match her flip-flops. As the girls are bonding, Liz is asking her, there seem to be a lot of guys that are into Isabel, like pretty much every guy in school, but she keeps them all at a distance. Why is that? The answer is obvious, though. She asks Liz, do you find it hard to open up to someone? Well, times that by a million. And I think that's when Liz starts to get how hard it is for them. It's not just like, oh, you know, my left big toenail grows in crooked, or I have a mole on my elbow that looks like a pumpkin. These are not just superficial things that you're self-conscious about. This is fundamentally, you are not like these people at all. I mean, You've molded yourself to act like humans. You've grown up and been taught to feel like humans. But how do you know what you're feeling is actually human? How do you know you've even tapped into a quarter of your potential yet? All those questions about who you are, what you're going to be, what you're capable of, they don't even have a bar against which to measure. I mean, that's kind of mind-blowing in a way. And then they're just expected to assimilate into this society? Oh my goodness, it's it's got to be torture for them. So of course, Isabel has built all these walls, and Max has two in his own way. Michael, he was almost forced to be isolated, and that's why he says he's better off. Because Max and Isabel still have their ties, their parents who raised them. That's a huge draw to this world. But still, they're they're kept at a distance too. Eventually, the conversation comes back around to Alex, and Liz tells her that she really has no idea what he's going to do. He's so mad, and he feels so betrayed. So Isabel just says, I'll look into it. And we get another of these dreamwalking sequences. She's lying in bed, in her silk pajamas again. Her hair isn't quite as styled as last time, I don't think. But she touches Alex's face in the yearbook and kind of drifts off to sleep. And in his dream, he's walking through the hallways of school. My guess is that's a budgetary thing and less of a 
actual metaphorical thing. Anyway, he goes into one of the classrooms. The front half is set up like normal with the desks and chairs that are kind of attached and the blackboard. Near the back, though, an elegant table is set up like a restaurant table with full place settings and a chandelier. And now Alex is dressed in a tux. He's all suave. And he's waiting to meet someone. He goes to put a CD in the CD player, but then the lead singer of the band shows up, and I believe it's an appearance by Save Ferris, who was pretty big around that time. And by big, I mean made a lot of cameos in other movies like this. That's not important, though. What is important is who he's waiting for, and it's Isabel dressed to the nines in a beautiful red dress with her hair all curled. I mean, it's not that well done it's pretty frizzy but in the 90s I guess that was considered a hairstyle and so it's I guess styled it's more styled than when she's going to bed (laughs) anyway Alex is so happy to see her and as the singer is singing they start dancing it's this beautiful sweet little moment between them where they discuss how Alex sees That not only is she beautiful on the outside, but what's really beautiful is her interior. And not many people get to see that. She keeps them at a distance, but she can trust him. She can show him who she really is. And you just, you see the Isabel dancing with Alex, but you also see the real Isabel who's watching this dream. You can see how this really affects her. No one can even begin to see her like that. One, she keeps them all closed off, but I think with quote-unquote beautiful people, you never get people who want to look beneath the surface. They're so overwhelmed. They're so ready to like you right off the bat that you never have to earn that, and you never know if they actually like you or they like the idea of someone like you. And those are two very different things. Now, the dream ends as Alex and Dream Isabel are getting really close. It looks like they're about to kiss, and then it fades out and Isabel wakes up. The next day, Max questions her all about what happened, but she is super evasive, telling her, I don't know, he's a complex individual with, you know, all these uh, complexities. She's reading people's subconscious. It's not like a science. And he's like, are you flushed? It looks like you're blushing. And she's like, it's just the heat, like. I've I've got it. It's fine. I know what I saw or I know how to deal with it. And if anyone's going to, it's going to be me. Because obviously she sees if he's dreaming about her, she's going to be the one that's going to be able to reach out to him. And that's what she does. The next day at school, she goes up to him and he is so surprised that she's even looking in his direction. Because right from the beginning, like the first episode, the pilot, and he's drooling after her, like when they're at that festival... And Isabel is dressed up in that silver alien costume with those kind of, like, dome cone boobs and, like, I don't know, really powerful outfit. He's drooling after her, and she just totally does not give him a second glance. So now he's totally overwhelmed when she's like, oh, hey, how's it going? So you heard about that party, right? You know, the one at the old soap factory? And I love it, that's all these kids can talk about. But if you lived in a boring town like that, this would be, like, the biggest party that would happen for these kids. Much better than some lame school dance. Who wouldn't want, like, an underground rave? I mean, it's not like they're raving in Roswell. (laughs) 
but it's their like tame version of you know a wild unsupervised party yeah and the old soap factory which is actually probably filled with super super dangerous chemicals if you know what goes into soap making um that's probably a fire hazard oh spoiler alert Isabel, though, asks Alex if he wants to meet her there, like, at 8, and he's like, oh, yeah, sure, uh-huh, uh-huh, oh, yeah, woo, like, he does not even know how to contain this excitement, he is so over-the-moon happy, and he's the only one that's actually got, like, a real confirmation. Michael's freaked out that Maria's getting so clingy, wanting to know about his day, his whereabouts, ugh, he can't be tied down like that. But then this is where his character shines through, that he just has this feeling he's going to hurt her. No matter what he does, just being himself is going to hurt her. And that's why his character, I feel like, is so redeemable and so likable. Sure, he's kind of cocky, arrogant, standoffish, aloof, but he feels like he's damaged. He feels that alienation, pun intended, and that isolation, and doesn't want to see anyone else suffer because of that. He suffers enough every single day. He doesn't want to put anyone else through that. So he's going to pull away like he always does. After this revelation to Max, Max really has to do some soul-searching, though. Were these rules set in place to protect him or to protect other people? What was really the cause of making those rules in the first place? It had seemed like such a natural gut reaction, but he had never been in that situation before. No one had ever really known the truth about him. Like, really known. This is all new territory. And he decides to explore it by going to find Liz, who is in one of the science classrooms. Surprise, surprise, Miss Nerd Liz is conducting an experiment, and that experiment is trying to get two slugs to mate. <laughs> And she's there, and she's kind of prodding one of them, like, come on, just do it, just do it, which is the exact opposite advice that she gave Maria, but of course Maria wasn't going to get her an A. Max asks, is one of them gay? And this just reminds me of a Jake and Amir sketch, where it's all about a fortune cookie, and Amir's just like, I want to a gay beetle. He's like, how'd you know it was gay? It was humping another beetle. Was it a male beetle? Doesn't matter. Why'd you eat it? doesn't matter. (laughs) Just total nonsense. And that's what I feel like this slug mating scene is. Like there aren't enough metaphors and literally in the background of every single scene, there are people making out like on a counter, next to lockers, in the hallway, in a door frame, like everywhere and anywhere. And now there's even slugs. I guess it's the perfect background for a romantic conversation though. (laughs) because this is where Liz kind of bears her soul a little bit. She says how hurt she was when she saw Michael and Maria together. She had kind of just accepted what Max said when they couldn't be together. She thought maybe, like, physically there was a reason why they couldn't be, but knowing that Max was just pushing her away was really hurtful. He has to confess, though. He wasn't afraid of them getting together and it not working. What he was really afraid of was that they get together and that it does work. That things go so well between them, but the rest of life doesn't go that well. What if they're caught 
just keeping these secrets are weighing on them daily. It's causing issues at school with their friends, maybe even with their parents sometimes. So is it fair to sacrifice all of that? Is that selfish? He doesn't want to hurt her. Liz defends herself, though, and says that's not your decision to make. He can only decide for himself. Does he like her or does he not like her? He cannot take options away from her unilaterally, though. And at least Max kind of respects that. He sees what he's been doing a little bit, trying to control everything. And although we'll learn why that comes so naturally to him, it's really not fair. There are other people in his life. Those other people are allowed to make decisions too, and he has to respect that. So they sort of decide to give it a go. At the old soap factory. <laughs> I love saying that. Have I said it enough? We should have made some sort of drinking game for the every time they say old soap factory and every time I say old soap factory, old soap factory, old soap factory. You know, just in case you didn't know where this party was, it's like the most well-advertised underground party ever. It's like in university, in some of my classrooms. <laughs> oh my goodness. I swear I went to a really intelligent school, you guys. But in our classrooms, sometimes on the blackboards, in the corner, they would write the address of this kegger, and it was basically held every other week, and it paid these guys rent. So all the guys would basically pay five bucks for a cup and they'd have kegs out back but for all the girls because they desperately wanted girls at their party <laughs> because it was an overwhelmingly male campus um, they would actually make those big coolers like that they used to have at like McDonald's sponsored soccer games I literally was a McDonald's cooler you guys um, where they would mix juice they would mix like vodka and like peach iced tea it was like the crappiest vodka ever, but they were considerate for the ladies who didn't want to drink beer. And it was just on all these blackboards all the time. I don't know how all these professors didn't notice, but they literally, when it was coming up like a day or two before, just write the address and you just, you knew what it was. You just knew when you saw that like certain street number, you're like, oh, it's going to be this Friday. All right. I'll either be there. Or I won't. And that's what this old soap factory feels like. It's like they made flyers and stapled it onto, like, street lights. Like, <laughs> no wonder this thing eventually gets busted up anyway. Do not trust teenagers to keep secrets about parties. I'm sorry, that was a whole tangent. But getting back to this great, great dance. When Liz walks in, the music that is playing oh my goodness, is so 90s. I know technically we might already be in 2000, but the music is not. This is the kind of music that played on those late night dance shows, like in the clubs, and not like in the club, like today, like hip hop, yeah, it's cool, we're going to the club. It's like everyone's wearing neon and it's totally tacky and all the makeup is totally frosted as well as the tips of a lot of these guys hair it is so generic it's incredible maria though is dressed like a disco star she's got the kind of faucet flip out with the hair it's still very short but it's blown out to be wavy like that flip at the front and her shirt is this pink 
sparkly sequin shiny halter top with these spaghetti string straps that are tying it on oh my goodness I mean at the time sure that was probably hot as anything and I mean I'm I think I've probably seen girls wear something very similar nowadays but just with that hair and the makeup it is so 70s it's ridiculous it's not retro disco like it's not a modern throwback it's like full on this could have been I wanted to say historic but I guess well yeah anything that's in the past is history but I don't consider it like that historic time period but it was her style oh I'm I'm liking the hair as it's growing out it's looking better Liz is obviously put an effort into she's wearing like a backless shirt but her hair is curled in these perfect little curls. It's like, oh, she's trying so hard to look so cute. And both of these girls are waiting for these guys to show. Michael is already there and brooding in a corner. Except it's not a dark corner. It's like a spotlight. You can definitely see him across the room. There's like no one around him. It's this perfect framing of him in this halo of light just brooding, leaning up against something. So Maria obviously makes a beeline for him. Alex showed up right on time, but won't talk to Liz at all. Instead, he makes a beeline right for Isabel. He's not going to blow this chance. If she invited him here, then he's going to talk to her. As he walks up, he tries to compliment her. He's like, oh, wow, you look really good in red, or I like you in red. And she's like, I know. I'm like, that's not creepy. When you say these coincidental things that people just dreamt about, do they think it's psychic foreshadowing, or do they think you're a creeper? I thought you were trying to play it cool. Alex just wants to clarify, though. Did she mean to meet her here like a date? Or when she was saying that, was she just kind of informing him of the party's existence? Because that would be totally awesome in and of itself. And I love that Alex is so upbeat, like, that is still a win in his book. Having her just tell him about a party is like, holy crap, wow, this girl knows I'm alive. That's a huge step up from the day before. <laughs> it really is to him. But then when she clarifies like, hey, you want to go somewhere and talk? Ooh. I mean, he doesn't get that code for let's talk. It's like Netflix and chill of the day. But he's just so happy, so of course he has to agree. It's about this time that the hoodlums start showing up at this party. They bring in a bunch of DJ equipment and a bunch of jello shots, and one of them seems to take a liking to Liz. He tries to basically get her drunk and propositions her for later, and she's like, uh, no thank you, because Liz won't be rude, she just a no thank you. And when the guy pushes it, Max swoops in. She said no thank you. And oh, he came and she is so happy. But he wants to legitimately give this a shot. They've been holding themselves back. And he doesn't want to do that anymore. So for at least a little while, they get to enjoy the party. Maria is not quite having such a good time. When she goes to confront Michael, she tells him, she knows this isn't true love, but does he really have to avoid her? She's getting way too intense for him, though. She doesn't like that. Intense? And he's like, yes, intense. For him, this is intense. She tells him it's hurtful, though, but he doesn't really say anything. He can't do this. 
He can't get involved with someone. He needs to be alone. You can see how hurt Maria is by this. Like, she is so on the verge of tears and basically just shakes her head and says she needs air because, I mean, she saw this coming, but at the same time, she's totally blindsided because you, you're treated a certain way by someone until you expect certain things, even when they tell you differently. But that's the problem is people tell you who they are. And it's your fault if you don't listen. And sure, maybe they're not being honest, but at the same time, people are who they are. And right now, Michael's a closed book. You're not going to be able to pry your way into his life. Not if he doesn't want you to. Now, another couple having a little bit more luck are Amy DeLuca and Jim Valenti. That is right. They decided to go out for dinner, so they're at a nice restaurant, and they're talking about their kids, how Maria just has been so closed off lately, and how Kyle just doesn't open up the way he used to. There was a time where they used to share everything, but now they're just, they're growing more and more distant. Take the Alex situation. Maria and him used to be best friends, and now they hardly ever speak. And you can just see a look of realization come over Valenti's eyes. And I never know his motives here. I'm sure he does like Amy. She's a very likable woman. But he's playing all the angles here. He has been for a while. He's just like Topolsky. When he sees weakness between a group, that's what cops have to do. You know, you play one suspect against another. You try and get them to break. You try and get them to turn on each other. And once you've found that weak link, you have your way in. You have the truth. Their date is cut short, though, because Valenti gets a phone call. There's been a disturbance. Now, back at the party, Liz and Max have been dancing a little. They've been enjoying themselves. And then, you know, they want to get somewhere a little bit more private. So they go outside to the parking lot. And again, they're leaning in really close. And they're about to kiss. Oh, I don't even think I finished the lap story, by the way. Guys, do you mind when I jump around like this? I do apologize. I could try and edit it in. But when they were in that lab scene, trying to get the slugs to mate and they're really opening up, there's a scene where they lean in really close and they're about to kiss and the teacher walks in and is like, how's that mating ritual going? And Liz is all upset, like, just fine. I was doing just fine. And we have another one of those situations. They finally have a moment away from the crowd. They're out in the parking lot. They've been having this great night. They lean in really close and then, whoop! There's Kyle and Vicky Delaney in the back of a truck. Mm, they had the same idea of getting a little privacy outside. And it's another kind of awkward situation like, oh. And Kyle sees that they're together. And I mean, even though he's with someone else, this has really just confirmed a lot of suspicions that he already had. Liz and Max are kind of a thing. And so whatever goodwill they might have had is kind of disintegrated. It's at that moment, though, that the fire trucks show up. Those silly hoodlums that plugged in all their equipment basically blew a bunch of fuses. It short-circuited. The wiring was definitely not up to code. That's probably why this place shut down in the first place. And so there's sort of a fire. There's smoke everywhere. 
and Max and Liz, instead of just, they're already outside. Instead of just leaving the scene, they rush back into a building, which if it's on fire, worst idea in the world. I mean, I'm sure he might be able to control it, but seriously, smoke people, you can't do anything if you're passed out from smoke inhalation. Stay low to the ground, people. Do I need to do some basic fire safety here? Cover your mouth with a wet rag if you can. Stay low to the ground. Touch a doorknob before you enter the room. If it's hot, it means there's probably fire on the other side. Don't try to be a hero. Get yourself out safely. Contact the authorities. Seriously, guys, stay alive. Stay safe. Do not be like these two fools. I suppose they're looking for their friends, but it's not a good move. Anyway, well, you see the consequences right here. Guys, maybe someone will hand you some liquor bottles, and at that moment, the police will raid the building, and you'll get arrested. Just like Liz and Alex. Max was off trying to find Isabel, and so he gets to duck out. Marie and Michael had already split. So it's just those two who are taken into jail. Oh no, another arrest. Guys, they're arresting these minors like left and right in Roswell. While they're in there, they have the girls and the boys cell right next to each other. I know they probably aren't called girls and boys cells in prison. <laughs> jail, it's technically not prison. But for plot purposes, Liz can just speak to Alex. She can see him. There's just like a couple of bars uh, I definitely don't think you'd have those two cells within reaching distance of each other, though. That does not seem safe to me in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I know it's like a little town, but I'm pretty sure that there are probably specifications on where you can and cannot keep people who have been arrested. For the plot, though, Liz keeps begging for his forgiveness. She tells him she's sorry. Alex is sick of it, though. He's basically just like, shut up. The only other people locked up in there with them are these hoodlums who are totally cool. Like, dude, this happens all the time. Our parents will be here to let us out. These kids do not look like they're underage at all. These kids look like they're mid-20s. They are no longer children at all. But I guess that's Hollywood casting in the 90s. <laughs> totally unbelievable. They're just trying to be cool. They're having a good night. This is no big thing. And for them, it's not. One of the deputies comes by and all of them are released. It's only Liz and Alex that are left behind. Valenti says he spoke to their parents and thought that it was a good idea that it would teach them a lesson if they spent the night there to rethink their priorities in life. This is total garbage, though. And as soon as he leaves, Liz is like, okay, we need to get our story straight. Alex is like, no way. I'm in jail, Liz. Jail. I'm going to tell him everything about the switched blood, about Dupolsky, about the FBI, everything. This is not worth it to him. A couple of weeks ago, he would have trusted her with his life. Now he doesn't even know who she is. And he knows that drug story is totally bogus. She's just, like, ripping her hair out, though. It's not her secret. And outside, Isabel and Max are freaking out, too. And Isabel's just like, we should have trusted him. I just have this feeling about him. Like, we'd be better off if he was with us. It's too late, though. They missed that chance. They had so many chances. And he would have gone along with it because he's a good person who's their friend. 
And Liz is appealing to that good person right now. Trust me. Believe me. He just wants to know one thing, though. Did she arrange the whole Isabel thing? No way. Liz did not have anything to do with that. She didn't even know about that. Alex is really pissed. That is low. She is scum. Like, how dare she pull that? Liz can at least defend her on that, though. She's not low. She's scared. Alex can't understand why a girl like her is scared, though. It seems from the outside that Isabel has it all. She's beautiful. Guys love her. She does well in school. She volunteers. You don't know that yet, but she's very involved in her community, and her parents love her. She seems to have everything. Liz desperately tries to get across the idea that she's different, though. All of them are. Isabel, Max, Michael, and you can see they don't have much time. She needs to convince him. She needs to say something. She realizes there's no way around it. She tells him they're not from around here, and she does the whole pointing up thing. And again, you have him guessing, like, Wyoming, and she points up further. Like, like Canada? So what? They're Canucks. And... Liz is just like, oh, there's no other way. I guess I just have to say it. They're not from around here. He's like, what are they, like, illegal aliens? Liz's eyes get really wide. Sort of. They're from somewhere else. And she realizes that she just has to say it. So she comes totally clean about the crash in 47, about the pods that they were in, about coming out looking just like they were. And through this, Alex is just giving her this look because she's like crying and she's bearing her soul and it's so emotional. And he's like, holy doodle. She has gone wacko, like lost the plot, totally off her rockers, bananas. (laughs) He's genuinely worried and is like, are you okay? It's been a relief though. It's been torture for months lying to him. He really was one of her best friends. And now, there's no more need for lies. She promises she'll never lie to him again. And this is where Valenti walks in. The night is almost over, and he is going to ask Alex if he's ready to talk. And Alex says absolutely he is. Again, he's pulling the old switcheroo. He wants to talk about why he's being a target. He's just a kid. He's 16 years old. What could he have to do with a teacher disappearing? And what does that have to do with Sheriff Valenti anyway? If this was about the party, he just wanted to have a bit of depraved fun. Dance. Hook up with someone. You know, have some alcohol. But he actually didn't do any of it. And the sheriff's like, well, all of you were trespassing and you were in possession of alcohol. Alex knows, though, this has nothing to do with the party. And if he doesn't let him out right now. He's going to go to a lawyer and sue him for abuse of a minor. He knows his rights. And of course, the sheriff doesn't have anything on them. Like, you could find them, slap on the wrist, some community service. But all you need to do is test their blood to see they literally had nothing in their system. They may have been holding a bottle, but they clearly did not partake. So the two are freed from their captivity and... Out on the street, Liz is just so happy. He knows the truth now. He does not believe a word of it, though. 
he believes that she believes, but aliens are definitely not real. Liz is just like, I felt the same way. And that's kind of the wrap-up of that plot line. The two of them get to go home. The heat wave eventually breaks. Liz is writing in her diary about how it's probably good nothing happened between her and Max. Because if they had kissed, if they had started down that path, it might have led somewhere that they could never come back from. Somewhere that they shouldn't have gone. Right at that moment, though, you hear Max calling to her from outside, like, Psst, hey, Liz. And he's waiting for her downstairs. She goes on that little balcony terrace out the back of her room, and he climbs up there to her, and it's all lit by these strings of Christmas lights hung around the walls. And he just tells her he has not been able to stop thinking about last night. When he saw her get taken away, he couldn't bear it. He realized how much pain that he's caused her, how much stress he's added to her life. She thinks it's just the opposite, though. And he's like, oh, really? Because he thinks it's a good thing he left. And then there's kind of this awkward moment where he starts narrating what he would have done, but then he's doing it as he talks. So he's like, I would have, like, brushed your hair away. And he's brushing her hair away. And then he's like, we could go through this together. And she's like, and then? Well, then I'd have to do this. And he kisses her. And oh my goodness, we've been waiting all episode. We've been waiting since pretty much the first episode, if I'll be honest with you. But we finally get this kiss. It feels like it's finally been earned. And I like that it happens after the heat wave breaks. If they had given into it any other time that they had had this opportunity, it wouldn't have been as special. Everyone was kind of just acting on their impulses. But this was thought out. They had multiple conversations about this. They had multiple times to separate, think it through, compare with their friend, decide what they wanted out of life, and then decided no matter what happens, it was worth the risk. They feel so strongly for each other that it's worth maybe losing it down the road. Of course, it'd be painful, but at least they'll have all these times to look back on that would get them through. It's that old adage, it's better to have loved and lost than to never have loved at all. And I don't know if I believe that fully, but we're going to see it play out. Will it last? Will it not? Is it an on-again, off-again thing? Do you remember? Have you watched it before? Are you excited to see what happens next? I definitely am. I cannot believe how fast all these episodes are going, and I can't believe how everyone I watch I kind of love. Even the episodes I didn't think I liked or, I, I liked them all, but obviously there are some that are my favorites, like my favorite, favorite, favorites. But in this rewatch, I'm really getting a lot of stories uh, that I didn't value as much the first time through. Maybe I've grown as a person, maybe I have more perspective on life, but there's certain characters that I relate to a lot more. You know how much I go on about Michael and Maria and Amy DeLuca, who got left at dinner when Sheriff Valenti just took off? after that phone call. I mean, maybe I'm closer to, well, no, I'm not close to their age. <laughs> I could not have a teenage child, everyone. I am not that old. But their relationship dramas of their coming with baggage, as opposed to a teenager and it's their first relationship. I used to be so gung-ho over Max and Liz, and of course I still am. But it's those relationships that you have to struggle with. Those relationships that aren't soulmates that won't last you the rest of your life that are kind of intriguing to me now 
It's exploring different parts of your own personality when you're in these relationships. Who are you and how do you see the world? Ooh, I just love it. Oh my goodness, I can't wait to see what happens next. I guess I should say though, before I sign off, if you have any opinions or thoughts or favorite parts of episodes or favorite characters or new viewpoints that I haven't mentioned or that you never noticed before, email me at thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. It's all spelled out. It's the name of this podcast, thecrashdownpodcast at gmail.com. It's super simple. I would love to hear from you. I can read it on the air. I can just answer the question. I could bring it up casually in conversation over the show. Anything you want, I am open to it. Preferably if it has something to do with Roswell, please. I would appreciate that if it was on theme. But even if it's not, I still kind of want to hear from you. So until next time, you guys. <laughs>